When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and I answered them as best they could. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where today we're going to look at the prophet Jeremiah again and some of the things he endured. If you want to look up a picture of Jeremiah, we don't have any photographs of him, but we have some great paintings, Rembrandt's paintings. So type in Rembrandt or Jeremiah of the Lamentations, and you'll see him leaning on his Bible. These are the final days of Jeremiah the prophet in Rembrandt's painting, which you can see on the screen, or if you Google Rembrandt and Jeremiah of the Lamentations, you'll see him seated. I don't know if I can zoom him in a little bit. Um, in the back of the painting is the burning city of Jerusalem. And there is Jeremiah, his arm propped up on a giant Bible. In fact, in Dutch, it says, this is a very blurry Wikipedia picture that's free on the internet. Um, it says Bible on it, Bible. Um, there he is with his Bible. And you can see he's missing an arm and a leg, his right arm and his right leg. Jeremiah, the, the psalmist says, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right arm and my right leg be cut off. And there he is with his beloved city burning. The city has not yet burned. The there is the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, have besieged the city. They've surrounded the city. They are ready to take the city at any moment. And suddenly this army from Egypt shows up with Pharaoh. The king of Judah had made some alliances with, with Egypt. Uh, the story and saga of Israel and Judah and Egypt is a long one. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham, who goes down to Egypt and gets involved with the Pharaoh there and then has to run away. And his son Jacob goes down there and does pretty much the same thing. And then Jacob's son, Joseph, is sold in, in, into slavery there in Egypt. And then all the brothers come and then all the people live there. And then suddenly a Pharaoh comes along who does not know Joseph and they're enslaved there for hundreds of years. And then they're delivered out of Egypt and they keep going back to Egypt. Um, and in this time of crisis, they have gone back to Egypt and said, Egypt, save us from these Babylonians. And the Egyptian army marches into the land and the Babylonians retreat. They don't want to fight Egypt. And all the people in Jerusalem that have been waiting for this impending doom, this impending destruction of the city, rejoice. And they say, it worked. Our strategy worked. The Babylonians have run away. And that prophet Jeremiah, who is a lone voice crying out that the city will be destroyed, was wrong. Jeremiah was completely wrong. He was a liar. And in fact, the false, the false prophets were correct. They were the ones that were right. Jeremiah fooled us, tricked us. Let's get rid of him. And Jeremiah again falls even lower in status in the kingdom. He goes from minus 20 to minus 50 and falling rapidly. Jeremiah, it says in the text that he goes off to get some land that uh, is owed to him. The strange thing about Jeremiah and property is that Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah to buy some land inside the city of Jerusalem. 
And Jeremiah's like, that's a bad investment. We're surrounded. We're being besieged by our enemies. Um, this city's going to fall. You, God, you're telling me the city's going to fall. You're telling me to buy land in it. And the, the pro- this is a prophecy, a parable, that God has a future for the city of Jerusalem, that even though it will be destroyed, there's no doubt about it in the mind of God, that there is a future for God's people in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah enacts this by buying this property. But when he goes out to buy some more property, still in this prophetic role, in this parable, living parable, he's arrested and thrown into a cistern. A cistern is a giant, giant water container. Um, if you go to the Texas State Capitol and you walk around to the back side or the north side, you will see a giant cistern covered. Um, it's a big stone, looks like a millstone, a big circular stone. Under that is one of the two or three cisterns that are under the, the capital in the state of Texas. And there's a little plaque there you can read about um, how big the cistern is and, and under there. Because before running water and pipes and things like that, um, you had to keep your water in the, in the ground in some sort of container. And so these giant cisterns would then double as prisons. Um, in times of crisis. The prisons are filling up. This should be a sign of any society that is filling up their prisons. There's something really wrong. We live in an era of mass incarceration in this country. We solve our problems with removing people from us, thinking that that will make us safer, us better. Um, This is a very short-sighted way because the prison population is not removed from us. They are not, they are not far from us. Even though we may feel that they are far away, they are very much with us in our communities. And the, and, and the people that we designate are prison guards and prison administrators to care for them and to supervise them, um, bear that burden for us. And so, like Jesus said, whatever you do for prisoners, you do for Jesus, you do for me. Um, we need to consider how we are doing our, how we are managing and how we are funding and how we are uh, planning our prison world because we live in an era of mass incarceration. That is our solution to the problems of our day. And it was the solution to the officials in Jerusalem. If they just imprison more people, especially people like Jeremiah, then we'll be, we'll be successful. And Jeremiah tells them, this isn't the way it's going to go. Uh, the Egyptians are not going to be our ally. They're going to run away from us. And the Chaldeans are going to come back and destroy the city. Well, Jeremiah's in prison. He's been arrested. He's been humiliated. He's starving. He's in this lightless, airless cistern. He can't see the sun. Um, and he's, you know, Jeremiah, he's lamenting. And guess who shows up to visit him? The king. The king knows that No matter who he goes to, he's going to be lied to. That's the problem of being a king. That's the problem of being someone in power. People often tell you things that you want to hear because they're afraid of you getting angry at them because you have power over them. And then you just get lied, lied to all the time. The king knows Jeremiah will not lie to him. So he goes to him secretly, kind of like Nicodemus going to Jesus. And he asks him secretly, hey, what's going to happen? And Jeremiah says, there's no way out of this. The, the, you're, this city is going to be destroyed by the Chaldeans. And, this, and even though um, 
even though this is a message of great despair, this is also the message of God's promise. God promised to do this. Um, He gave people plenty of chances to turn, and they haven't, and the king hasn't, and nobody has. The only person that seems to be taking it seriously is Jeremiah. The king goes off to do what he wants to do, and everybody else does, and there Jeremiah sits alone in this dungeon, in this cistern. And we sit with him too. Um, And Jesus sits with Jeremiah too. Uh, Jesus is also has the kings of the earth question him, and he gives them answers that they don't want to hear, and they hang him on a cross. And it seems like all is lost. It seems like the city of Jerusalem has fallen again. It seems like the promises of God have run out, and he dies. And the whole, his, all his followers despair. They run away. They go back to what they were doing. And then, three days later, these women, who all they know to do is care for his dead body, go to the tomb, unable to even roll the stone away, and they wonder if they even can get in the tomb. And there they witness the miracle of the resurrection, that out of this place of death springs life. And this is the miracle of resurrection that nobody thought could happen. Nobody thought it was possible. And they had forgotten what Jesus had said, that he would come back to them. He would rise from the dead in three days. And so they witness this glorious resurrection. They go and they tell the other disciples and they go and tell the world and they tell us to say that even in the face of despair, even when all is lost, even when those we love have gone and die, and we experience that death too, and we are stuck in a cistern or even hung out on a cross or put in the grave, that there is always resurrection coming because it's because God promised it, not because of anything that we can do to earn or deserve it. It is because of what God has promised. And God made that promise to Jeremiah. God made that promise to the people of Jerusalem. And God made that promise to us. So rest in that promise today as you experience all the changes and chances of life that Jeremiah, that Jesus, and you and me experience. Amen. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you as eternal life and to serve you as perfect freedom, defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In a prayer for guidance on 100, Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, by whose spirit the whole body of your faithful people is governed and sanctified, receive our supplications and prayers which we offer before you for all members of your holy church, that in their vocation and ministry they may truly and devoutly serve you. Through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.